Hello and welcome to another uh, show. This is uh, Sim and I have a special guest today, my darling hubby Gnome. Yay, Gnome. Um, we're going to talk about two things today. Um, the first is uh, something that, that Gnome brought up because of his birthday. Uh, September 16th is the new release of the uh, Star Wars uh, films on Blu-ray. Amazing things. I was excited for it until I heard about some of the changes. We'll go into that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we said that in the store, and I, was, I, I looked at him and I said, are, are you sure? Because I, I thought, you know, being the, the news monkey you are, you, you already had heard this. Uh, the biggest change that got announced last week was that uh, during the, the pivotal scene, the greatest moment where, where Darth Vader turns and throws the Emperor into the abyss. Uh, uh, spoilers. Well, I think everyone's seen the, the last movie of now. It's the internet. Uh, Someone has not seen it or they're going to complain. Spoilers. Well, fine. Uh, he throws the Emperor into the abyss and it's, it's a completely silent moment from Vader. I mean, you, you, you see that, and there's the music swelling in the background, and the Emperor screaming as he falls. But nothing from Vader. Well, they, now they want him to yell, No! Like he did for Padme. No! Yeah. No. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. So... I apologize, my dear. I did not realize you, you didn't know that. No, no, I, I, I thank you. That just saved us 90 bucks? Uh, yeah. 120, <laughs> something like that. Well, so, yeah, I, no. No. Well, for me, after I, you told me that last Sunday, that you wanted this, and I, I was aghast. How could you want this, this thing that is very much not our childhood? And it got me thinking about what it was I really disliked about the films. Because, I mean, we, we saw them, and, you know, growing up in the order of uh, the, you know, is supposed to be seen in. As God intended. Four, five, six, and then one, two, three. Because, uh, you know, that's how we count in, in, in America. <laughs> exactly. And it got me thinking of all these promises that, that were sort of made by films four, five, and six, unintentionally, I think, possibly. And whenever... George Lucas did his original specials where he cleaned up the graphics, cleaned up the, the sound, made explosions cooler. But, you know, we were all fine with that. We thought that was good. To a point. And then he announced, you know, I'm making film number one. I mean, everyone was excited. There, was, there were tears in the eyes of, of, of many. Well, some. Many a virgin cried. Yes. Uh... And then we went and saw it, and we were we we came out and we we said, "Many a virgin cried." Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> that would be a very odd thing for me to say. I said, "Well, I don't know." Yes, yes. Anakin's performance was mediocre. Jar Jar Binks made us all want to hit him over the head with a hammer many times. But you know, I. I didn't see how this little boy was going to become Darth Vader. He was a good sort of little boy. I mean, he was a little boy. He, he was neither good nor bad, which was actually a, a choice I thought was good. 
overall. Outside of the fact that Jake Lloyd was, while having more emotional impact than Hayden Christensen did, was still as wooden as a you know an oak tree. And the the forced romance between an eight year old and a sixteen year old. What? That didn't happen to you when you were a kid. No. That, oh, okay. That would be called child molestation. In movie number four. Obi-Wan Kenobi tells Luke Skywalker that Anakin Skywalker was a good man. So whenever movie one came around, I I went into it expecting to find a good man. I found a little kid. Yeah, that's okay. Little kids are little kids. As I said, neither good nor bad. Except he was an ace fighter pilot and mechanic. He was not an ace fighter pilot. He blew up the big trade federation ship. By accident. Tell Luke to throw the Death Star. We call him the best pilot ever. No, we don't. And he didn't do that on accident. He was lucky. He was intending to blow it up. It was not luck. It was the Force. Yeah, whatever. Controlled luck equals the Force. You know, we're going to get so much crap for this. Yeah, it kills me that I'm the Star Wars fan and you're the the Trekkie, though. (laughs) I am not a Trekkie. I don't see where everyone gets all this. I like Star Trek. I like Star Wars. I'm a geek. I like it all. Big geek pie. Yes. I like pie as well. Yes. Um, But it it doesn't change the point. Anakin did it on accident. Luke did it on purpose. That's as far as I'm going to go with that. And you can disagree with me all you want, hon. Um... In in the second movie, we see Hayden Christensen being uh, Hayden Christensen, I guess? I don't know. No, because I've seen him in other movies. He actually is a pretty decent actor. Well, then he's just a jerk. I I sat through that movie, and I wanted to be, go kill the sand people, they killed your mother. But I was just like, yeah, you jerk. (laughs) They killed your mom. Really? And that was your reaction? Mine was sort of like, well, that happened. Movies 1, 2, and 3 are so much lost potential. And it wasn't because of the special effects. It wasn't even because of the acting, while some of it was pretty bad. It It falls squarely on the feet of the writer. And the producers. The same person. In this case. They didn't give a compelling story. And the one that they tried to tell, while I'm guessing someone thought it was compelling or at least interesting enough to put on film, in the end, made us hate our protagonist. Well, we're supposed to hate Vader. He's like a bad guy or something. No, no, no. We're not supposed to hate Anakin, though. We're supposed to feel for him as he falls slowly to the dark side, as the temptation and as the the illusion of power slowly corrupts this guy, this this knight, the shining knight. He was never a shining knight. This is what it was supposed to be. He was never a nice guy. You know, he, was, he was always a jerk. He was always very selfish. He was always just sort of doesn't care about the little guy. He'd see people in, in pain and mourning, and he wouldn't try to help them. He just walked on. He wanted to get his piece of booty, and he did. That sick, sick storyline. You're giving me a weird look now. (laughs) What? He was 18 when anything happened. (laughs) It was just... I I agree. It was a completely non-compelling storyline. And 
seeing it now, I remember listening to an interview with George Lucas on one of the special collection sets of, the, of movies for five and six, where he said the story was supposed to be about redemption, how children redeem their parents. And even then, I was like, well, wait a minute, what? Luke didn't redeem Vader. Well, we won't really get into that, because that's open to interpretation, and that was actually written by better writers than George Lucas. Which brings us to another point. People that wrote the, the novel adaptions of these movies, that took George Lucas's script and novelized it, did a better job of making you care and make compelling characters of Anakin, Obi-Wan, Padme, all of them. They e- took they, Even Jar Jar. Even Jar Jar. Were, what, what was compelling in the novelizations. They were given personality, and they weren't hampered by bad writing or, in some cases, non-caring actors. I don't believe the movies exist. They don't. They're nothing more than the outline that these really good books about the uh, Clone Wars were written on. So, I don't know what they're putting out with, you know, the three movies from my childhood, but uh, those are, you know, kind of like the first draft. If you want to see what really happened in episodes one, two, and three, pick up the books. It actually makes you care. Well, that to me, that brings me to, to my point, my main grr point out of all of this. Lucas has, by changing movies uh, 4, 5, and 6, and ignoring the, the what was previously canon in the books uh, before he made these movies 1, 2, and 3, um, he has essentially created this precedent where you, you can publish something, but publishing doesn't matter. Because I can still edit it 30 years from now. And take that thing that you liked and turn it into, I don't know. Well, yeah, it's about pretending copyright. That's all that is. If you change it, copyright renews. Not just releasing it, but if you actually change it, it solidifies it again in the in the copyright laws. Yeah, but you can just renew your copyright. Well, It's some cheaper. Pe- <laughs> some people think that they have to actually change something. And you know what? I think any artist is never satisfied with whatever work they complete. Well, so what? Writers hate books that get... I mean, they do. They they hate the books that the, that the publisher ends up publishing because they've they've written it once, then they, they edited it and sent it to uh, their agent or their publisher or whoever, and then that person sent it back to them to edit, and then it gets sent back to the publisher, edits again, and then eventually it makes its way into this, this you know, killed tree. Then you read it and you're like, oh my god, they didn't correct this thing on page 17, so now so-and-so sounds like a dick. They misentered this thing over here, so now I have fishes swimming in the sea whenever fishes is not grammatically correct. And now there's this comma over here that shouldn't have been there that I removed in the draft that I sent to them to publish and they didn't do it. Yeah, but those are copy mistakes. In this instance, you're, you're, you're talking different, different medium. Yeah, book publishing is the format that inspired movie publishing. That was the original form. That was the uh, arrangements that were the forefathers of movies. Yes, but publishing is so archaic in the way that it handles things. You're right. It goes from the creator to the editor to the publisher, back to the editor, back to the publisher, back to the writer, and so many things. And be- you know, it gets changed and filtered and and. Well, it's, you know. it's still the same. I mean, if, if I'm a movie writer, 
I write the movie, I send it to my agent, my agent sends it to the producer, the producer shops it. Eventually there's a, a director that catches on to it. The director completely ignores everything I actually wrote, hires his own writers to rewrite it so that it becomes his or her movie. They don't ask for my permission on that one. And then they film it and the actors change whatever it was the director put on the page anyway. Or you're George Lucas and you control everything from beginning to end. You are your producer, your distributor, everything else. You're the writer, the director, all of it. And you control the vision. And if you control the vision from the beginning to the end, while there are points where you may not be satisfied, you'll release what you have. Yeah, but that that's sort of my anger point. He produced it. He said he was done. And then he keeps changing it. We don't need Vader to yell no whenever he throws the Emperor overboard. Because uh, what is he saying no to? Is he saying, no, I'm throwing you overboard. No, you were my friend. No, quit hitting my son. No, my cat's on fire. Again, this is semantics, and I don't agree with it, but as the artist, which most people will probably argue with that Lucas is an artist, but he is. He's a writer. He's a director. He wasn't satisfied with the vision at the end. He he doesn't see it for what it is. It's not what he envisioned. Well, if his vision uh, has Hayden Christensen in it at the very end of movie six, which... I think it's uh, actually being changed. Well, I hope so. Uh, then I, I would have to say too bad. I mean, if Alfred Hitchcock was alive today, I'm not sure that he would refilm Birds. I'm not sure that he would change... I'm not sure that he would change Psycho. Uh, I don't think that he would change um, Vertigo. I mean, there there's so many movies that he was not happy with. But as a, as a true film master, he said, I did the best I could. This is my product. True. And it's also from a time, too, when the creators didn't have control to go back and change it. Look at Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick is famous for taking years upon years for projects because he wasn't happy with how it was going. If he were around now, he would be in the same shoes as probably Lucas. Going back to The Shining and tweaking it. Going back to 2001 and tweaking it and fixing his mistakes. But, or not even his mistakes. Things that he didn't like. That would That would be one thing. If he was fixing mistakes... It is not a mistake that Vader was not at the end of movie six. That isn't a mistake. It wasn't a mistake that Vader didn't yell no whenever he threw the Emperor over the side of the generator. It wasn't a mistake that the Death Star originally had a fairly uninspiring explosion. No, that was limitations of the time. Yeah. Go back if if you have the ability to go back and do it with something better, why not? Again, this is their mindset. It and wasn't a mistake that Han shot first. No, no, it wasn't. In fact, that was one of the key points that, that Lucas would go on about, about the character of Han Solo, that you really probably might not could trust this guy. Yeah, and then they changed it. Well, yes. It wasn't a mistake that uh, Spielberg's people in E.T. had guns, not flashlights. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a minor point, but that's sort of the, the, the problem. Let's say, you know, 30 years from now, the director of Ocean's Eleven decides that he didn't like the way certain things were. So, you know, he's going to have a clown wander in. 
but that's not going to happen because the guy that directed Ocean's Eleven isn't the same guy that wrote it, isn't the same guy that produced it, isn't the same guy that went back and rewrote it and everything else. It the the, the clearest comparison you could raise to it would be what if in the next five years Kevin Smith went back and redid Clerks because he didn't like it. That would be the same kind of control. Yeah, but you, Smith isn't going to do that. But if he did... He did. He called it Clerks too. Yeah, he did. Uh, but Kevin Smith, if he was to do something akin to what George Lucas was doing, or is doing, rather, uh, he wouldn't go back and refilm Clerks. He would just throw in some extras that, you know, don't really add anything to the movie, don't really take away from the movie, but they do change character motivations and does change the tone of the movie. I mean, what if uh, whenever Dante uh, finds his girlfriend having sex with the corpse in the bathroom, we, we just change that because it's too risque. I don't know what we change it to, but uh, change it. Maybe the guy was, was lived. That would, that would change character motivations. It would change tone. We'll just throw in an extra, you know, landscape shot where people are running around the store. No, well, that wouldn't hurt too much, actually. Well, that's <laughs> what we did with Mos Eisley. We, we threw in a, an extra scene shot to add an extra 16 minutes to the movie. doesn't add anything to the movie. It doesn't add to the story. doesn't do anything but take up time. True, but if you look back at what was written about Mos Eisley, not just in the script, but in books and everything else, Mos Eisley is a very active black market city. Mm -hmm. And in the original movie, you didn't have that. No, you, you had this sort of ghost desert town. Right. Which I was actually fine with. It didn't take away from what I thought about Mos Eisley. Nah. Again, it it's... The image that you saw compared with the way it was created. The same thing you were complaining about earlier. What 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 the writers had written was being ignored. Well, the writers had written most likely to be this very active, very bustling, very New York style, or at least you know New York on the waterfront style. Uh, I, I think the word that you want is Santa Fe, because it's not New York. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's inconvenient to get to. But it is incredibly active among the black market. Right. And among the huts, and among the other criminal element, it it it's Vegas. Without mm. without the casinos, it's a city out in the desert that's full of people. But really, truly, most likely, wasn't even a city. Maybe it's a may, spaceport. Maybe Reno. Maybe Reno would be a better. Yeah, it's a spaceport. It's a yeah. place where people land and come do business and then leave. Yeah, I I believe that. But that's fine. From from the original cut of what we saw, I could see that it was a town, it had people, but I don't care about the town or the people. I want to go to the bar. Because that's what where the story is happening is in this bar. Yeah, at the same time. You're right, that's where the story is happening. But the setting is important, too. Yes, it is. But having the scene-establishing shot forced in there doesn't really help me. It doesn't help me understand the movie. As a matter of fact, it actually kind of detracts from it because here we are running away from something and then we take a moment to look at the sand. Oh, how beautiful the sand. Oh, look, a rancor. Oh, look, we're in the bar. That's not really how it goes. Well, no, it has some other stuff to <laughs> But that's my point. 
we're being distracted from what's going on. We're having this tension that was being built up broken by these little bits of action that don't feed the story. They don't, again, take away from the story other than taking away from tension. In that instance, I don't think it actually removes any tension because of where he places the scenes. He places it between the points of tension. And famous is the, you know, it's not the droid you're looking for. Nothing was really changed there outside of maybe, I think they added a couple of extra stormtroopers to it on a, uh, on a bantha, not a bantha, Dubak. It was one of the lizards. Oh, okay. Um, but you're right. That doesn't take away from anything, but it doesn't even take away from the tension either. In fact, it may enhance it a little bit because they're at this checkpoint of all places, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not just two guys that, you know, they bullshit their way through. They bullshit their way through a platoon, a battalion, you know, a couple, you know, more than just two guys. Yeah, but but we go from seeing Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru dead and a little bit of a scene establishing shot as the uh, hover card goes away. And then we arrive in Mos Eisley and have that scene. This, with the new cut, we, we drive away from the, the gruesomeness to a bustling city. Completely different atmosphere, completely different music going on in the background. Oh yeah, now we're going back to our main characters and their their troubles with the checkpoint. Mm. It kind of helps give a little bit more life to the universe, though. And yes, I know you don't like that. But at the same time, it- Star Wars is more than about the people that populate it. It's about... It's about the planets. It's about the people. It's about the side. It's about stuff that's going on around it. It's this universe is alive and it lives. So adding pieces to it that show that it is more than just around these seven people, you know, and then these couple of bad guys, it makes things like the Galactic Civil War seem more epic. It makes things like the Death Star seem more epic. It, maybe it does to you. If it but... was done right, it would be really well. Since some of it is done badly, it does detract a little. But at the same time, I see what they're going with it. And I wasn't completely upset with the additions to the scenes. The additions to, of this stuff here and there. I was more I was more detracted by things like Han shooting second. I was more detracted by things like Hayden Christensen being at the very end of Return of the Jedi. But as for adding more people to scenes, it doesn't bother me. It gives it more life. Because that was one thing the first the, the original cuts of movies were lacking. It was very much let's follow these people around. Hey, look, there's no one else around but these people. You know. <laughs> well, that's who our story's about. I mean, yes, as modern storytellers, we sometimes like to throw in the guy at the fruit stand. But you know what? The story's not about the guy at the fruit stand. Well, no, we don't talk to the guy at the fruit stand, but he's there. It. it it fills the background. It fills the frame, as they like to say. Well, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of um, that scene in Emperor's New Groove, where they're following the characters, and then the Emperor wants to interrupt, so he asks the camera to zoom back, and he says, too far back! Because it's, you know, about this monkey and this bug. What does the monkey and the bug have to do with the story? Nothing! Absolutely nothing! Which in that movie is fine. It's a bit of comedy. That's great. It fits the story. Doesn't fit the story for Star Wars. Star Wars is not a comedy. I don't think any of that really pulled away for comedy either, though. Like, the most Eisley stuff that you're talking about. 
all of the most likely stuff was establishing shots of the city to show you what this city was. And it actually went into the scenes that were already there. You know, it does go from Aunt Beru and uh, Uncle Owen being dead to them driving away in this hand speeder and them sitting on, on top of a mountain and Obi-Wan looking down at most likely going, that is the greatest hive of scum and villainy in the universe. And it's two buildings and a couple of guys. And you just don't get that feeling that this is the hive of scum and villainy in the universe, <laughs> in the galaxy, for, you know, two shacks and a couple of guys. I know. We know what's going on in one of those shacks. Yeah. But, <laughs> but now, when he says this and it pans over to this city, it is a city. It's alive. And you can get the feeling that it is the hive of something. You know, it does not look like the most safest or the most entertaining place to be, but uh, at least now when he says that, you can believe that there's probably something shady going on down there. Well, we're, we're focusing a lot on Mos Eisley, which is not what I really care to do. Okay, we can move past that. Oh, good. Because my points are still valid. <laughs> I'm not saying they're not, but I'm coming at it from... Playing devil's advocate here, from Lucas's point of view on some of this, and throwing in my own opinions here and there. Good. Uh, Lucas changing the movies after they were produced is a bad precedent. Changing the stories in a way that does not correct errors, does not add to the story, but detracts from characterizations, scene tones, that is the precedent that, that concerns me. The fact that he created these stories for 1, 2, and 3 after so many books had been written that established something of a storyline that he failed to acknowledge, failed to pay off on. That bothers me. But mostly it's, it's the changing after you've already produced and already done. Said that you were done with this. I mean, what, I hate to even say this in case he's actually considering it. But what if he made a pre-Willow? Well, that would just be silly, because it would just be Willow being Willow. Yeah, but if you actually read the Willow book, there was so much more story to Willow than actually got filmed. And it was a great story, it was very epic, it was interesting, it was fantastic. And it doesn't detract from the movie version at all. But what if he decides to do that? Who writes it? I have no idea. If he rides it, then no, it's it, it's gone. If someone else rides it, we got a chance. Maybe. If it's not the intern. Well, I shouldn't say that. Some interns are good. So yes, I, I can understand where all of the fandom anger comes from. I don't understand how Lucas can do one thing, produce it, say it's done, and then go back and change it. Well, he makes this decision sitting on a giant pile of money. And he goes, the pile of money feels a little lumpy. It needs new money. How best to get new money? Well, that's changed some stuff. So people will buy stuff all over again. No. I, I, I love you, honey. I am never buying anything Star Wars again. Says the girl who, who Star Wars-y wedding. Uh, I'm not buying anything with Star Wars franchised again. We forgot to address point number two, so I'll just save that for next week.
Uh, if you have something you'd like us to discuss, please let me know at Q-W-I-L-L-H-A-W-K-E-Y-E on Twitter. Um, and visit our website, www.sidekickcomicsonline.com. <laughs>